All right, Judges chapter 6 and verse number 33. Judges chapter 6 and verse number 33. The title of the message is The Challenge of Gideon. The Challenge of Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse number 33. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet. And Abazur was gathered after him and he sent messengers to Manasseh and also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher and unto Zebulun and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet him. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be upon the fleece only and be dry upon the earth besides, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand. As thou hast said. And so it was, for he arose up early in the morn, on the morrow, and thrusted the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me pray, prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry upon the fleece, and upon the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was also there was dew all on all the ground. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time. And Lord, pray that you would calm our minds. Allow us to focus on your word. Lord, you are a great God. And you love us. And you are our hope. And you have a plan for our lives. And Lord, I pray that you help us to follow your will. And do so with faithfulness, encouragement, excitement, looking to you to provide. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. God is in the process of training up uh, Gideon to be the next deliverer of Israel. As part of this training, God commanded uh, him to tear down the altar to Baal and to build an altar to Jehovah in his place. He passed that test. The villagers... uh, we're not excited that Gideon had done that, but they did it. They wanted to kill him for what he'd done, but his father stood up with Gideon and said, you know what, uh, this is to courage, this is right. If Baal was God, he'd take care of himself. And so by his own actions, he encouraged others to follow Jehovah. After that very public test, because that was very public, right? Extremely public. Now there is a private test, testing. The second testing, though, was not by God. This was Gideon's own conjuring up a test. He had demonstrated great bravery in public, but he shows a lack of faith in his time of privateness, of private testing. And sometimes it's easy to put on a public face and appear to be something that we're not in private. That's not that hard. And I think all of us here on some occasion have been guilty of that. And this passage, we see that as true in Gideon's life. So it's been going on for eons, and the idea is that we need to be following God. When Gideon tore down that altar to Baal, that was a great step of faith. Even though he couldn't do it during the day, he was afraid. He did it at night. He still God did not say do it during the day. Dude, there are too many Ds there. He didn't say that. He just said tear it down. So he waited for night, tore it down. He obeyed. And this brought uh, uh, the uh, public eye upon him, and he saw that he was serving God. And, and, you know, so 
He witnessed the, the whole village witnessed courage in public, but in private he was afraid. He had fear. We see the courageous public persona of Gideon, and we see the fearful private persona of Gideon. And we will see him challenge the people to follow him in the battle here in just a moment. And then we'll see him challenge the call of God in private. Before we get all like, oh, Gideon, you just don't got together. We are just like Gideon. There's times in our lives where we're just like Gideon. And I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to follow the Lord. So first thing we see is Gideon and his faith. As the scene opens here, we see a young Gideon. He's energized. The victory just happened, right? He's pretty excited. And he's calling Israel to prepare for war. This is the Gideon the Lord saw when he first commissioned him to deliver his people. He said, come. Now we see some things about the foe. So it's harvest time in uh, in Israel. Verse 11 talked about that. Uh, we're not going to go back there. It's time for the crops to be gathered. So for seven years now, the Midianites with their uh, allies have used Israel as really their private pantry. Uh, let's go to Israel and get our grub, fellas. You know, let's go down there and get what we need. And now it's time for harvest, so now it's time to come and take what the Israelites had worked so hard for. Let's just take it. And this was leaving Israel destitute. This is what's taking place. And invaders were significant in number as well. In other portions of scriptures, uh, we see that the army was significant. Actually, we have an approximate number of 135,000 men. That's a lot of bodies. That's a lot of people showing up in the valley looking to take your food. And we're told that the enemies of Israel made camp in the valley of Jezreel. That's what it tells us there in verse number 33. This valley is very large and it's one of the most fertile valleys in all of Israel. That's what I'm told. I haven't been there. I'm going to believe what the scholars told me in the book, okay? But it's very, very, and I've seen pictures of the place, it's very lush. Many of the crops that sustain the nation were produced in that valley. So having the enemy invade and take the harvest away from the nation of Israel, that leaves them in a very, very precarious place, doesn't it? It's almost genocide by starvation. We'll take your food and you'll all die. And just a little side note, the Valley of Jezreel is also known as the Valley of Megiddo. Okay, that's another way we know of it. Many great battles have been fought there over the years. And there will be a final battle waged there as well. The Battle of Armageddon, as we know, and that's uh, on the same battleground. Jesus will defeat the Antichrist and the armies at the end of the tribulation period. So the same valley. So Gideon uh, gets these guys together. He has the courage to do what no man has done in seven years. From that period of time, the war trumpet of Israel had been silent. So when I read the Bible, especially stories... I like to visualize. I like to think about it. I, I like it for it to come alive. The Word of God's alive, amen? It's absolutely alive. It is not a dead book. All right? It's alive. So uh, I contacted a friend of mine this week in our church who knows how to play the trumpet. So I said, hey, what do you think uh, the trumpet sounded like when Gideon blew it? So now we're going to find out. So he calls. He gets the trumpet. Who knows? It could have been dead or something different. 
But the reality is, and he probably played more than once, but we're not going to do that just to save on your ears. And I mean, he did a great job, but... Uh, the idea is that he blew that trumpet. That's the first time that had been heard in the nation of Israel for seven years. So imagine if you're in the field trying to get a bit of food together and then you hear that. I haven't heard that in a long time. What, what's going on? It may be blew it second, third time. We don't know exactly. Uh, but he licked his lips and he blew that trumpet. Where did he get this kind of courage? Because once he blew that trumpet, he knew men were coming, right? That's the point of no return. He could lick his lips all his wants, but once he blows that trumpet, there's something going to happen. Where did he get that courage? We're told the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. God took control of Gideon and caused him to sound the war cry, the war call. He blew that trumpet calling Israel to war. That's, this is not the same man we met earlier in Judges chapter 6 that was in fear, right? He was in doubt. This is a man who is determined. He has courage. He has daring. Something's happened to Gideon. And the something is the power of God. He didn't go home and read some self-help books. You know, he, he didn't get a subscription to the latest and greatest motivational speakers. No, he was motivated by the power of God. Gideon had a personal encounter with God, verses 11 24. He made a commitment to obey the Lord. And when that happened, uh, he was under the control of the Spirit of God. And God used him. He was changed. Isn't that a great analogy for us too? When we need Jesus, we accept Him as Savior, we are changed. We're not the same anymore. We're different. And it's because of the Lord. And it holds true for us today. If we want, as individual believers, to serve the Lord, uh, that power comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are His temple. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have God? Ye are not your own. We are to yield our control of our lives to His will. And then we'll be filled with the Spirit. If, if we will yield to Him, that means we give up trying to lead our own life. We give it over to, to the Lord. While the Spirit of God still empowers people for service in these days, He operated different in the day of Gideon. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did not dwell in every believer. Uh, the Holy Spirit anointed people for special tasks. The Spirit of God did not dwell on that person permanently in those days. Uh, I think of Saul, the Spirit departed. Samson, the Spirit departed. Uh, and there's others as well. Uh, but when the Spirit did move on that person in those days, they were given great strength and courage to accomplish marvelous feats to the power of the Spirit. Now, it's worth taking a moment to consider this, the contrast between how the Spirit, Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament times and how He operates today in our lives. There's a lot of confusion in that in our Christianity today, and I'm losing that word very loosely. Uh, but there's a lot of different theories out there and, uh, and doctrines. You know, in our day, every believer, every individual who comes to understand that I'm lost, Without Jesus Christ, I'm heading to a crisis eternity. A person realizes that and then places their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They are heading this way. They repent and they change and they go towards the Lord. Uh, they set Christ as Savior. Just faith, simple faith. Like every one of you here demonstrated, none of you checked the pew before you sat down. You just had faith it would hold you. Right? You all demonstrated faith today in that pew. 
The idea is, as a believer, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And when we do that, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Romans 8 9 talks about that. Not only does that, uh, it's not merely for appointed tasks either, He gives us help for daily living. Daily living. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 16 to 25 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to read all those verses, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And the idea is once we're saved, the Spirit indwells us. We need to be yielding our life to Him. And as we yield our life to Him, we'll show that love, that joy, that peace, and as the list goes on. The Holy Spirit does not depart from God's children. Not like in the Old Testament. It stays with us now. He takes a permanent residence in our hearts. John 14, 16, 17 talks about that. His presence guarantees our eternal security in Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom also that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Hey, I never have to wake up, and you as an individual believer, if you trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone, you never have to wake up wondering, am I still saved? You're in. You are a part of the family of God. He's not going to remove you from it. That's not to say that we can't get away from a good walk with the Lord, a good relationship in the sense of our walk, because we can get away from the Lord, but we're always part of the family. Our fellowship can be affected. When the Spirit of God is in control of our lives, we are changed inwardly first. And that inward change manifests itself outwardly in godly living and good works. Good works do not save us. Right? Good works do not save us. You have to understand that. There's so many churches out there saying, oh, if you take Jesus and you do good works, you're saved. No, 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 no. It's Jesus alone, amen? Jesus alone. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are going to do good works. It's a proof of the fellowship, the rest, or the, the, the transformation, salvation. It's a proof of that. It just goes hand in hand. For we are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. So we see that He blows that trumpet. He's, you know, we see that the Holy Spirit is with Him in a very mighty way. In uh, verse 34, we see they they come, and He blew the trumpet, and Abazir was gathered after Him, and He sent the messengers throughout Manasseh, and a number of other tribes came. Uh, he sounds that. Trumpet to rally the people. And the first one who come are the Abaziers, which this is his own clan. These people a few verses ago were ready to hang him upside down and kill him. Now they're like, we're with him! We're with him! We're, we're with him! So evidently his family and those that live around him, they saw Gideon's faith, they saw the conversion of his dad and his family, and they said, we're going to trust God too! We're going to follow Jehovah! They were changed people. You never know what a step of obedient life in your life will accomplish in the lives of those around you. You don't take that step of obedience for that reason, but you never know how far reaching that decision will have. You do it because you're being obedient. That's why you do it. But other people are watching. And you cannot live for God without positively impacting your family and close associates and friends and all those 
they will notice. You will have a positive impact. And when you demonstrate a bold commitment to follow the Lord, oh, others will be challenged. So there will be two challenges. One will be, oh, I'm upset that you're doing what God wants you. And that individual then tries to tear you down and tell you not to do it. Just way too much of that going on. And then there's other ones who see your bold commitment for Jesus Christ and are like, I need to do the same thing. We all should be in this category. None of us should be over there. All of us should be over here saying, I want to be bold for Jesus Christ as well. And by the way, it doesn't matter your age. Uh, those who are more mature, don't want to use the word old. <laughs> those who are more mature, listen, you'd be bold for Jesus Christ too. You'd be bold. you make an impact. Hey, uh, the middle-aged individual in our church, you be bold for Jesus. You'll make an impact. Hey, our young people, you be bold for Jesus and you'll make an impact. Don't say it's just for the older folks or for the young folks. No, it's for all of us to follow Jesus and do it boldly. I was thinking this week about a fellow. I was thinking about Philip. Philip was in the book of Acts. He was faithful. Uh, he was not young. Neither was he old, from what I can see in the Scriptures, when he was greatly used. He was used to go to Samaria, a place where the Jews did not want to go because they referred to Samaritans as dogs. He was used in a great way. The first revival took place in the church age under uh, 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 Philip there in Samaria. And then God says, go to the desert. I mean, if I was having a fantastic revival services in a, in a city and there's all kinds of people coming and someone says to me, you need to go to the desert. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Someone take him away. I don't want to go to the desert. There's nothing in the desert. But Philip was willing to follow the Lord to Samaria, to people, and he was willing to follow the Lord to a desert to reach one person. That was a bold step. I'm sure there were some people. I think there were some people in this category right here. Oh, Philip, you wasted that time. You wasted that time. In Philip's mind, he's like, nope, I'm boldly following the Lord. He told me to go. I'm going. So he reaches one individual, Ethiopian eunuch, who then in turn brought the message of the Jesus Christ of the gospel to Africa. Oh, yeah, it was worth following the Lord. Amen. Absolutely. And you know, even when you step out and you follow God and you boldly do it, even your enemies will acknowledge that something's different with that individual. We saw evidence of that in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When the individual apostles were brought up before the council, they were saying, well, there's something of God. We don't understand it all. We ought to thank God for people around us who possess a bold faith. I'm thankful that I know people with bold faith. That's an encouragement to me. And God is still using those individuals to change this world for His glory. A committed following. You see, Gideon calls the tribes together that live around them, uh, and they respond to that call. Uh, Judges 7, 3 tells us that his army numbered in 32,000. That's, that's a lot of guys. But that's still pretty small compared to 135,000 of the enemy. And God doesn't need all of those to defeat the enemy. He whittles it down. We'll look at this in uh, the next message in this series. He whittles it down to 300 to root, I mean, destroy. There's nothing left of the Midianites. Now, we live in a time when it appears 
that the enemy outnumbers the people of God. And it's true. They do. They outnumber. Satan has far more servants at his disposal than the Lord does. And now we can get really down the mouth about that. And we can become very negative. We can have a very uh, uh, nasty perspective about that and and be upset about that. And hey, listen, uh, I want to see people serve Jesus Christ too. Amen. I want to see people get saved. Absolutely. That's my heart desire. And I want to see things go further than ever before. But I should not be disturbed because Satan has more servants. I shouldn't be disturbed. I should be sad and I should pray for them to get saved. Amen. But I should not be disturbed. We need to remember who's in control. Guess whose power that we have access to? God. God. And He has enabled some amazing victories. We'll see that in in future messages with Gideon. And we think about Samson and we think of others because of the power of God. We must rest in the power of our great God. I think about the three Hebrew boys. They weren't really boys. We refer to they were men. Three Hebrew men who went in the fiery furnace and they came out and their clothes weren't even tort, you know, scorched or smelt like fire. I think of Daniel. I think of the stilling of the storms and uh, the walking on the water by Peter because of the power of God. Listen, there's so many evidences that God has great power. With a God of such great power leading us, we are well able to do everything He calls us to do. If He calls us to do it, He will provide the power, the means to get it done. We need to follow His leading. I think about Caleb and Joshua of old. You know, they they came to the land of promise. The big giants there. The big cities. The other ten were afraid. And they're like, listen, with God we can do it. Well, they're the only two that did it, right? The rest of them died. Because of the lack of faith. And God did use them. And they did do it in the power of God Almighty. Rest in the power of the Almighty, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Luke one thirty eight, Job forty two two. I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Our God is great, amen? Our God is great. I think sometimes we have allowed the world to influence our mind about who God is, and He's not as great as He used to be in the Old Testament. Listen, He's just as great. He hasn't changed. He doesn't have the ability to change. He is God and He will forever be God. Gideon and his fleece. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. So Gideon has, man, he blew that trumpet. He's got everyone together. They're going to go to battle. And he's great courage. And he's gathering the army. This is the public Gideon. He's got courage. In private, he's still dealing with doubts. He's got some big doubts. A key word in this verse, in verse 36, is if. If. If thou wilt save Israel. Whoa, 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 whoa. A fearless leader. We mean if. I mean, you're calling the armies together. This can't be an if. I mean, we're we're outnumbered massively. This can't be an if. 
We, we got to know this is, can't be. This, and he repeats himself numerous times in other scriptures as well. You know, what, what God had wanted him to do, if this is really what you want me to do, uh, verses 12, 14, 16 of this chapter. Gideon's not content to simply trust the Lord and take him at his word. Now, I'm not saying that that's not going to take faith either. I'm not trying to you know, minimize the faith that he needs. But he's, he, he's struggling. He's not content with this. Gideon wants some kind of tangible proof that he could see with his own eyes that this is what God wants. So Gideon is not willing to walk by faith. He wants to walk by sight too. Gideon comes up with a, a test. He places a piece of the sheepskin in the ground and asks the Lord to make the fleece wet and the ground around it dry. And God does exactly what He asked Him to do in verse 38. And so it was, for He rose up early in the morning and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew of the fleece a bowl of a bowl full of water. So this doesn't appease Gideon. Verse number 39. And Gideon said unto God, "Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will not and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, oh, I pray thee, that this once with the fleece let not be dry upon the fleece upon all the ground. Let there be dew." This doesn't satisfy the mind of Gideon because he knows that a piece of sheep skin is like a sponge. It'll soak up all the moisture that's available around it. So even though he was able to wring that out, that fleece full of water, he's still not convinced. So then the next night, he asks God to reverse the conditions of the test. Make the ground wet and the fleece dry. God does it. Apparently, this satisfies Gideon because he doesn't question God anymore after this. He doesn't question the call anymore. Of course, he could have just taken God at his word two days earlier, couldn't he? Right? This is not a God test here. It's not a God test. He wasted two days playing his fleecing game. I'm sure you have heard the statement, putting out the fleece. Because that's what Gideon's done right here. I've, I've heard people say this. Maybe you've done it here in this room. That's fine. You have set up a test to prove the Lord. You put up a test. This is, Lord, if you want me to do this, you have to do this. You, you, you test the Lord. You dictate your terms. Are you starting to see that this is not what we should be doing? We dictate our terms to God Almighty. Can you see how that's a really bad idea? We dictate our terms to Him. Say, this is what I want. And then you expect him to do exactly what you told him to do. You want to see the practice of putting out the fleece. You want to practice it, but it's not something that pleases the Lord. Let me show you a few problems with that. Gideon faced the same problems we all face. He simply lacked the faith to take the word of God as truth. That this is what he wants us to do, or Gideon to do. God told Gideon what he wanted him to do. Uh, verses we already looked at, but Gideon was not willing to simply trust the Lord by faith. God expects His people, His people who are here this morning gathered, to walk with Him in humble faith in His Word and in His promises. Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as of written, the just shall live by faith. When we seek a tangible sign to determine God's will, instead of taking Him at His Word, it displeases the Lord. I got a verse for that, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And we have to have faith. We have to have faith in Him. It causes us to fall into sin, 
Uh, we, we can trust His Word because He promised us to lead us in Psalm uh, 32, verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. The Lord's with us. He's going to guide us. We don't need to put the test out and put in our parameters and make God do what we say. We need to follow Him. You know, another problem see in the fleece is that he's dictating the terms to God. Gideon's responsibility is not to tell how the Lord how to do things. His responsibility is to simply follow what the Lord tells him to do. I've worked with some individuals, and I've been the boss. I'm not talking about here at church, but other places, you know, secular workplace, whatever. And I've told them what to do because I'm in charge, and then they start telling me how it's going to be done. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So... I'm the one who's responsible for this. Not you. You just do what I tell you to do. And they come up with another plan. Like, no, 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 no. This is the way you're supposed to do it. And usually by the third time, my nice, cool persona is gone. And I'm upset because I told you simply how to do this thing. You know, if you really think you have a way better idea, you need to go talk to the bigger boss about it, okay? Now, the reality is we just, same with us as individual believers, sometimes the Lord tells us something to do. And we're like, oh, no, I got a better idea, Lord. And the Lord's like, no, no, follow this. Oh, no, I got a better idea. Blah, blah, blah. No, we need to follow simply what the Lord has laid out. Our duty is to say we need to follow the Lord. We are never called to tell the Lord how He should answer our prayers. We can plead for God to answer our prayers, but we don't tell Him how to do it. We're commanded to obey His Word and live uh, for Him without question. Gideon learned that seeking a sign does not solve the problem. He got a wet fleece the first time, but he still wasn't sure. Did God use the fleece to be to be wet, or did the fleece simply draw the moisture from the air? That, that's the thought process that's going through Gideon's mind. Gideon was not better off after the first test of the fleece than before. He still had the same promises, but he had doubt. The same doubt hadn't left. He, the promises of God were true, but now he had doubt, even more so. You know, when we set out our fleece before the Lord, and you're not supposed to do that, I'm not preaching you should, I'm telling you why you shouldn't now. When we set that out before the Lord and we set the conditions, we are not setting ourselves up for success, we're setting ourselves up for doubt. I'll show you. For instance, we're trying to find out God's will in some manner, and you pray like this. Lord, if you're, if this is your will, let Joe or Bob or whoever call me by 2 p.m. on Tuesday. Let that happen. So what happens if they call at 2.01? Hey, you've been specific. You said 2. You said 2. So does that mean God's saying no? Or does that mean your clock's ahead? What happens if they call 159? Does that mean God says yes? Or is that Satan up those dirty tricks? Does it mean that your clock is slow by one minute? Do you see the problem? We try to put in our parameters, our little boxes, Lord, do it this way. And man, we end up way more doubts. It doesn't help our faith. It hinders us. Gideon learned the truth that so many of us need to learn or understand there is no peace in the fleece. There's no peace in the fleece. Peace is in Jesus Christ. Following what He would have for us. Following faithfully. 
The real problem with putting up the fleece is the fleece is the way of, is always a place of our doubt and not faith. We need to be people of faith. So how does God guide His people? How can I find out God's will for my life today, Pastor Alcock? Pastor Merrick, how do I know? Well, the Bible tells us. Aren't you glad for that? I am so glad that when someone comes and asks me what's God's will for my life, I have something to tell them. That's not me conjuring up something. It's not me reading this guy or that guy or this one over here. No, the Bible tells us. He guides us through His Spirit. If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, He guides us with His Spirit. Remember I talked about the Holy Spirit and dwelling in our hearts and lives? At the moment of salvation, He comes. How be it when, John 16, 13, how be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. So if we're following the Spirit, if we're following the Lord, He's going to guide us into truth. And for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. So we need to follow Him. We need to follow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's guiding us. Uh, and uh, good ways of uh, getting that going is reading your Bible, being in church, prayer, you know, keeping things current with the Lord and with others. That's all going to help us as God guides us. Uh, and that this kind of goes in the next point too. God guides us through His Spirit. He guides us through His Word. Listen, individual believer, you will not find peace if you're not in the Word. Get in the Word. God did not put this thing together so you can put it on your shelf and then take it out Sunday morning. Get in it. You want answers for life? Right here. You don't need to go buy any more books. Not saying that you shouldn't buy any books, but this is your first one to go to. Get in this book. You want to know what God wants for your life? Follow through Spirit. He guides us, or guides us through Spirit. He guides us through His Word. He guides us through peace. Colossians 3.15 talks about it. He guides us through the desires He gives us. Hey, if we're being guided by the Spirit, if we are following His Word, uh, He's going to give us peace, and then He's going to give us desires of our heart that He wants us to do, and then He uses godly counsel. From his from other believers to help us along the way. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, "Where no counselors, the people fail; but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is safety." I have to be honest. I've seen a whole lot. I'm not just talking about young people. I'm talking about people of all different ages who've made some really bad decisions because they have not sought counsel from God's word or from God's people. I mean, some horrible life changing decisions. Don't be one of those. Be in God's Word. When God guides, the leadership of the Spirit will line up with the Word of God. Those two assurances will provide peace in our hearts and lives. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the peace of God will combine to give you a desire in your heart to serve Him, to do His will. He will provide the peace uh, about doing that. He's there to help you. He's there to help you. And other people come alongside to affirm, to encourage, say, yes, the Lord is definitely putting your hand, His hand upon you to do that right now. Or yes, that's what you should do. Or no, that's not what you should do. You, you know, the Lord uses people. Hey, He's using you to witness to people in your neighborhood, to be a good testimony at your work, a good testimony in your workplace, uh, I mean, in your uh, apartment building, wherever you might live. Hey, He's using you. Be willing to do it. We, we get it out of sorts. We, we think we got to figure it out on our own. Listen, if we get in God's Word, we'll figure it out a whole lot. We'll figure it out, period. We won't on our own. If we try to bumble around in the dark without God's Word, we're going to get ourselves in some horrible places. Some horrible places. 
Some will argue that God honored Gideon's fleece. Some will say that God honored their fleece too. God did honor Gideon's fleece. He did that because he was still developing Gideon's faith. I firmly believe that. He's still developing him. He did it because he understands our human weakness. Psalms 103, verse 14, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. We can get some really evaluated opinions of ourselves, can't we? We really think we're it. And you've seen that guy walk in the story. Yeah, man. I've been pumping weights, yeah. I'm like, you, whatever. I mean, that's so foolish. But you know what? There's people coming in the church spiritually thinking, yeah, I got it all together. I got this all figured out. Hey, I got news for you. You don't. We're still grown in Jesus Christ, amen? We never, you know when we arrive? Heaven. That's when we arrive. We still got lots of growing to do. While God honored Gideon's fleece, it's not his will that we should use that same kind of fleecing to determine the direction for our lives. The Lord's not a Lord of signs. He doesn't get excited about that. He's not part of his plan for us. You know, we have something that Gideon does not have, or did not have, I should say. You know what that is? The Word of God. We have all the Word of God. Every piece. There's nothing missing. And and so we need to take God's Word, and we need to saturate ourselves in it. That's what we need to do. I mean, we need to know this book. We need to be part, it needs to be part of us. We need to be in it, saturate our lives with it, and trust Him, and go forward for Him, and use our lives to bring glory for Him. God gets far more glory from one of His children simply obeying His Word than He does from someone who's trying to look for signs. Hey, let's just follow Jesus Christ. I read a story recently. A traveler in the early days in the West, in the Western United States, just as the West was opening up. It was even before they had a bridge across the Mississippi. So, it was winter time, And it was a cold winter. So there was a sheet of glass across the river. But the traveler was afraid to trust himself to it. Not knowing how thick it was. I mean, like, hey, I can totally understand that. Not understanding what's happening here. So after a few days, he, he wants to go west, and man, he's not staying here. He finally works up the courage. He gets up early, uh, winter morning. He puts on his coat and his things, and he heads to the river. And he's, I mean, he's hot already. He hasn't left the room really, and he's soaking in sweat because he's so afraid. Like this, I could go through the ice. I have a big pack. I'm afraid. I don't know how this is going to go. And he gets down to the river and, you know, he works up the courage. (sighs) Okay, I can do this. Have you ever done this? Like you step on something and you're like, oh, I'm really light. 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 I'm not really big anymore. I'm not really big anymore. I'm really, really light. You know, you're making it up in your mind that I'm super light. I'm light as a feather, you know, and all this stuff. You still know you're whatever you are, but you're thinking you're not. You're, you're psyching yourself up. Well, he did that, but soon he was down on hands and knees. He couldn't even handle standing on it. He's like, I can distribute my weight better on my hands and knees. Now, I, 
I think I've seen the Mississippi once. It's, it's a pretty big river. I mean, that's a long ways to go on your hands and knees, right? And he's, he's going across really slow on his hands and knees, hands and knees, going across really slow, hands and knees. And then, then he thinks he hears singing. He's like, oh Lord, I'm going home. I'm hearing singing already. You know, I'm, I, I, I hear singing. What is, is this ice going to give way? You know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And he hears singing and, and it sounds like it's behind him. And so you know when you're totally afraid, you, you, you don't want to look anywhere. Afraid you might break the ice, right? I can't move my head too fast. I'll break the ice. And he finally works up the courage to look right around. And lo and behold, on the horizon, come across that river is a four-horse cart loaded with coal. And the driver is singing his lungs out. What a waste, right? All that fear, all this doing myself, and you know, all those other things. We're so often like that traveler. We're afraid to take a step of faith. We're afraid to take a step of faith and obediently serve the Lord. Have you ever stopped and thought, what could be accomplished for the glory of God if every believer of Legacy Baptist Church simply did what God wanted them to do. Hey, that's a great thought to think about. And don't let us stop at a thought. Let that transform into action. I think, no, I believe there would be more power in the church. See, the power doesn't just come through with pastors. Oh, as long as pastors good, we'll have power. No, individual individual believers need to be connected with the power source. Amen. And the church needs to be doing preaching right. Absolutely. But if we're going to have more power in the church, that means individual members are going to say, "I'm going to get excited for serving Jesus Christ." I think there'd be more soul saved. Absolutely. I think there would be way more accomplished, way more than we could even imagine accomplished, if all of us would say, "I am going to follow the Lord." I'm going to surrender to whatever the Lord's telling me to do. I am going to take that step of faith.